Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We would love to connect with you today for listening to our podcast. Please fill out a connect card on our website at c3naz.net. You can also support the ministries of Cross Community by giving online on our website. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. Hey everyone, Pastor Jeff here. I'm so glad that you're here today. And if you're brand new with us, I'm the lead pastor here at Cross Community Church, but I'm away on sabbatical this summer. I'm so glad that you chose this day to come because you're going to get to hear Nate and Hope Owens. Nate and Hope and their family have served as missionaries in the Church of the Nazarene in both the Philippines and now in Kenya, Africa, where they're a part of our African Nazarene University right there in Kenya. I've had the privilege of being a mentor for Nate as he's been going through the ordination process over these last few years. And I'm excited to say that he's going to complete that process. Next Sunday night, he will be ordained. If you're around and want to make the trip down to Indian Lake Nazarene Camp in Vicksburg, you could celebrate with him as he's ordained as an elder in the Church of the Nazarene. But I'm excited for you to hear what God has laid on their heart today. And so let's give a great cross community welcome to Nate and Hope Owens. Hello? Can you hear me? I'm okay? Oh, okay. Hi. I'm Hope Owens, and my husband's going to share in just a bit. We're so grateful to be here today. Um, I want to just show you our... um, a few slides to get to help you get to know us a little bit better. The motto of the Africa region is Tuko Pamoja, which means we are together. And we feel like that when we come here to cross community, we feel like we are connected to you um, and we appreciate your, um, your support and prayer of us. Um, so I want to show you the picture of our family, even though we're all here right now, um, <laughs> Nate and Hope, for um, Peter and Forrest. Can you stand and turn around and wave? (laughs) Um, Peter's entering the fifth grade next uh, school year, and Forrest will be in the eighth. (laughs) Where, you know, he hasn't entered it yet, so I have to. Um, So uh, I just want to tell you a little bit about what we do in the Africa region. Um, Nate works with Missions Mobilization, which uh, allows him to connect people in Africa who are interested in being missionaries to um, serve on uh, usually on the Africa region, but some are serving around the world. So it's really exciting that it's not just Americans who are serving in Africa now, but Africans are having a call to be missionaries and are, um, are serving all around the world. And Nate gets to help them through the process of that. I work with partnership relations for the Africa region. And so if there's somebody like a congregation like your own or a district like the Michigan district um, who wants to connect with a ministry in the Africa region, I help to pair those two entities together. And um, it's we try to make it a true partnership. So it's not just a one-sided relationship, but each part of the um, partnership is um, 
benefiting from the other in some way. So it's really exciting to see what God is doing. Um, and I would be happy to talk to you more about um, some of the really cool partnerships that are happening out in the foyer after the service. I know um, Carla has done a good job with the rest of the NMI team to make it a special time outside after the service. So we would really love to connect with you. And uh, we have our prayer cards. We also have the prayer booth that you can take away a picture of us with yourself and then pray for us. So we appreciate that. <laughs> um, so I forgot about one more member of our family. His name is Ozzy. He's back in Kenya. And my friend um, who is Kenyan, she is staying at our home and watching our, our little son. He's actually about twins with Peter. They're 10 years old together. So... <laughs> We never thought we would be cat people, but we moved into his house, and we <laughs> we really love him, so we miss him, and that's part of our family. Um, as I as it was mentioned, we do um, live in Nairobi. Go ahead and show us the next slide. Um, the Africa region used to be housed only in Johannesburg, South Africa, but now we have something that's called hubs. And there's one still in Johannesburg, then there's the one in Nairobi, and then one in Abidjan, uh, Cote d'Ivoire. So that will help the regional leadership kind of be dispersed a little bit more evenly around the region. And so we are in the Nairobi area. The boys attend West Nairobi School, which is an international Christian school. And that's one of the big reasons that we're there, but it's also just a good pl um, place for us to to do our work from. Um, I'll have you look at the next slide and see just a few more details about what the region looks like this year. Just for reference, in the year 1980, we were only present in eight countries in Africa, and now you can see there are 44 countries that um, the Church of the Nazarene is represented in. So we're really excited, and God continues to move in exciting ways that will help us to open the doors in other places in Africa. Um, and you can see those. the rest of the... The details, we are eight um, fields, so all of those colors represent a field on the region. Some of them are uh, are by our location, but then you'll see like the green and the yellow are kind of dispersed because those are language-based fields. We have a French-speaking field and a Portuguese-speaking field. So we are pretty diverse, and um, it's a privilege for Nate and me to be able to serve the Africa region and the Church of the Nazarene. So um, we appreciate your prayer and support. And if you'd like to know more about um, how you can partner with the Africa region or with our family, we can talk to you after the service. I'd like to invite Nate to come and share with us today. Well, it's a real pleasure to be here with all of you today. We've been uh, to Cross Community several times, and I, I think I should give you fair warning before I get started this morning. I've been speaking for about a year and a half now to mostly Kenyan audiences, and they want me to go a lot slower than I'm inclined to go. So now having a, a congregation of Americans is like removing the speed limit sign. So if I seem particularly chaotic and motor mouth today, I'm sorry, but I hope that as fellow Americans, you can keep me. Hope. We'll find out. Uh, I want to begin uh, by sharing from the Word, and I'm going to invite you all to stand as we turn together, or you just listen to me talk. Uh, we turn to John chapter 2. I'm going to be starting in verse 1 and going to verse 11. The Gospel of John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. 
Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from twenty to thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But they have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. All right, so because I'm... Uh, a man speaking in America, I'm going to start with a sports story. It's not one that most of you probably have seen, though. Uh, in 2002, the World Cup, you, how many of you watched the World Cup this last year at all? I'm not a huge soccer fan, but I have to say the World Cup final this year was one of the best sporting events I have ever watched in my life. If you get a chance to watch it, it was between uh, France and, help me out, Argentina, France and Argentina, an amazing game, ended in a shootout. You really, even if you don't like soccer, this one might make a believer out of you. But one of the teams this year had their first World Cup in 2002. And to that, you know, I don't know, I don't know if you know how they set the World Cup up. They take all the qualifying teams and they group them into groups of four. One of the groups of four involved the defending champions of the World Cup from 1998, and that would be France. France had won it on their home country in 1998, so they came in very highly favored. Joining them in their group was uh, Uruguay. Uruguay has won a couple of World Cups in the past. Uh, they were joined by Denmark. Denmark has not won before, but they're a pretty well-known uh, you know, European team. And the fourth team was making their debut, and that was Senegal. How many of you know where Senegal is? A few of you. Senegal is in West Africa, French West Africa. And Senegal was making their first World Cup. Well, one of the first matches was between France and Senegal. Now, you might not know the background here, but see, most of Africa before the 50s and 60s was colonized by European countries. Who would care to venture a guess what country had colonized Senegal? France. Oh, you're good. Or you got the many hints, the foreshadowing. It's a literary device. Um, yeah, France had colonized Senegal. Senegal became an independent country in 1950. Uh, France and Senegal still have pretty close ties, but as you can imagine, a former colony is quite keen to beat their former colonizer. Right? Uh, as, as the game went on, it was a low-scoring game. And about a half hour in, a Senegalese player by the name of Papa Bouba Jop. Senegal and put Senegal up one nothing, And miraculously, after 90 minutes of play, give or take, Senegal was able to hold off France and beat them one to nothing. It was a shocker, an upset. Making their first World Cup, they defeated the defending champions. 
My parents were still served. My parents, you may not know this, they're from the Michigan district, but they served in Africa, in Senegal, until, from about 1999 to 2005. I was in college here in the U.S. at the time, but my sister and parents were still in Senegal, and they said the country lost their minds. They were so excited. It was a huge deal. They had beaten France in their first World Cup. And indeed, Senegal went on to have a pretty good run. They made it to the quarterfinals. The quarterfinals is the word I'm looking for, of the, the playoff that happens afterward. They won their first game. That's an amazing thing. I wonder if people in Senegal remember it still. Certainly when we talk about sports events, right, you may even have a t-shirt from an old sports championship. 2008 Detroit Red Wings Stanley Cup champions. I remember watching that. That that happened the week I hope and I got married. (laughs) So there's a lot of things going on that week. Um, You might, I mean, I know people who are, Older than me, who remember the 1984 Tigers, right? Wire to wire, first place chance. I saw a hand. I saw that hand. I saw that. I'm a Cleveland Guardians fan, so I only have heartache and pain in my memories. I, you know, you may even, I don't know if anyone in here would remember the last time the Lions won a championship. Does anyone remember that? Who knows what, what year, you remember what year was it? 57 Lions, yeah. You remember it. It's a big deal, right? Yeah. You, <laughs> I, you know, those, we carry those memories with us. It's, it's such a big deal to have the, like, it's just a shared experience we all have, our communities have, and the bad memories too, right? That, that French World Cup team in 1998, they came in four years later. They were sure they had to be favorites, but they didn't even make the playoff that World Cup. They finished at the bottom of the group. Our memories, we carry us going forward, and it can shape what comes afterward. In fact, I think that a lot of us are kind of driven by our memories, by what came before. I mean, just last week, we had a movie that came out in the theaters where poor 80-year-old Harrison Ford dragged his bones out of retirement so we could watch him play Indiana Jones again. (laughs) They spent untold millions to make him look like he did in 1985. And, you know, that's not a comment on the movie itself, but did you ever think about that? How much we want things to be like they were? That we're willing to drag this poor old man who wanted to play it. I mean, it's, he, was, he was compensated, right? He did, he's not a charity. But they, they, he came out of retirement to play this, and they, gave, they spent all this money to make him look young again. What kind of commentary is that? We want to go back. We want things to be the way they were. There are whole industries that exist in this country that make you feel like you used to feel. Political campaigns. This is not like a a political partisan statement, but the old phrase, make America great again. What does that say? It says things used to be good. Let's go back to that. Let's take it. We have to go back to where we were. There's been studies that have been done about people's favorite music. And the favorite music of almost everybody is from the years when they were around 18 to 25. And something happens when you turn to get to your 30s. I just turned 40 this year. Something happens and you start to hate all new music. Kids these days are listening to garbage. I hate it all. When I was a kid, that was when music was good. 
And then when you ask people what kind of bands they like, they immediately, you're like, oh, I can place that five-year stretch really easily. <laughs> I tell someone I listen to a lot of Radiohead, oh, you must be around 40 now. Yeah, <laughs> I am. And what's crazy is we, we think about this time when we were young, when our tastes were being shaped, and we think, wow, if only we could go back there. But we're forgetting all the terrible stuff. I love 1970s rock, like Bruce Springsteen kind of stuff. I love that kind of stuff. But you know what? How much of the music of the 70s was awful? Those of you who lived through the 70s, how much of the music was awful? A large percentage. Because that's true of any time. A large percentage of everything in the past. We only remember the good stuff. But oh, if we could go back there. If we could only go back to the way things used to be. Because now it seems like things are winding down. It feels like we've dwindled. It feels like we've gotten less. It feels like the party is ending. Right? As we get older, we reflect, oh man, I remember how, I remember how much energy I used to have. When I could, like, fall down the stairs and get up and dust myself off. And not these days where it's suddenly possible to sleep wrong. I hurt for a week. I slept wrong. I don't know. If only I could go back. Because where things are headed, it's just, it's, it's too much of a bummer. I don't like it. This is a story in the Bible about a party that's winding down. Weddings in the Bible. Weddings in, if you ever get a chance to go to a wedding in another culture, I so strongly recommend that you take it. All right? Now, you should know some things. It'll go a lot longer. (laughs) Most cultures, especially those that are non-Western, by which I mean not North America, not Western Europe, and not like Australia, New Zealand, they're not very hung up on time. Right? A wedding, but my wife and I attended a, a graduation celebration for someone who had finished university. And we attended this thing, and we thought, okay, this says it starts at 11. We know it's not going to start at 11. There's just no way. So we showed up at 12. We were still a half hour early. <laughs> and and everyone, and the thing is, that sounds like, oh, my goodness, that's so awkward. What will I do for half an hour? Oh, they all knew. They, everyone knew this is part of the gig. So you help set up. You hang out with the hosts. You, do, you just still be together. It starts when it starts. The story of the bridegrooms. Remember this parable that Jesus told, right? The ten bridegrooms. How many remember this parable? It's a great parable. But it doesn't make any sense in Western culture. How would the bridegroom be so late? How do you not know when they're coming? Unless it's after the ceremony and they take pictures for three hours. But the bridegroom was late in coming and so the, and it, it happens when it happens, right? That's how weddings are in other cultures. This one clearly was, it was almost certainly one that took a long time. Weddings in those days were like that. Jesus had been invited, but I, I read a couple of commentaries that said it might have been one of those invitations where it was kind of a, the proper thing to do. I imagine it would have been like if the, uh, the bride is saying, okay, so-and-so's coming. Yeah, this person's coming. Good, good. Mary's coming. Mary's son is in town. What? And all of those guys who follow him 
You mean the vagrant one who like wanders all over the country? Yeah, him. He's in town now. Oh, we have to invite him. Oh, oh there's going to be so many more people there. Where are we going to put them? All of the, you know, this is probably felt that way. I'm that's maybe a little anachronistic. I'm not above that. But you know, that's that's the kind of thing you have to invite him. It's the honorable thing to do. You can't invite Mary, not invite her son. Excuse me. I need to do a little of this. We went to church on Sunday and watched the guy drink water. (laughs) It's also uh, noticeable that because Jesus came, if he was not planned on, the provisions were probably stretched pretty tight. And having enough wine, which, again, we're talking another culture, right? The Bible was not written to 21st century. It was not written by 21st century Americans. So a lot of our own assumptions, you know, it makes sense to us. Oh, you might run out of food at a big gathering, right? Especially if extra people show up. Certainly now, if you go to the Middle East and someone has you to their house, they do not run out of food. They cannot run out of food. Because to run out of food would be a great shame for them. And so when we hear this wedding running out of wine, we think, wow, they must have been drinking a lot. Oh, well, I guess it's time to go home. No, 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 that's not what's happening here. The hosts of this wedding, shame brought upon them. Because there's not enough wine. Now, it's interesting what happens here. We're kind of, there's this exchange between Jesus and Mary. And it, it reads really weird to us in 21st century America. First of all, Mary says, well, you know, they ran out of wine. It, it almost sounds a little passive aggressive. You know, like they're sitting together. You know, Jesus, they ran out of wine. Maybe if someone had brought some more, maybe they wouldn't have run out of wine. It almost sounds like she's trying to, to kind of shame him, like, can you do something? You know, she, you know, she doesn't actually ask him. And how does he respond to her? And the translation I use is, woman. Sounds super disrespectful to say that to your mom. Don't try that with your own mother. <laughs> I, you could. I mean, you could try it once, probably. <laughs> and then never again. Actually, it might actually, there might be a footnote that says, it's assuring you. This, the Greek, the Greek word that's used here, it doesn't mean, it's not something disrespectful. Like, it's just, oh good, that's a, that's a real relief. We read that in the scripture. But what does he say? He says, my time has not yet come. Why do you involve me? Now here's something you need to know reading scripture. You will read things in scripture that don't make a lot of sense to you. Preachers read things in scripture that don't make a lot of sense to them. Because it was written 2,000 years ago in a very different culture. This, this particular passage was. And it's okay to admit that we don't totally understand something, but let's be a little curious about this. Let's be curious about Scripture together. That's the best way to read Scripture. It's great. So, what, what's he saying here? Well, one possibility, he's just saying, you know, maybe, like, what do you want me to do about it? Like, I, I'm just a guy. I'm just here. I'm just, maybe that's one thing he was saying. I don't think so. I don't, I think John, especially as an author, tended to not, he didn't include things just for its own sake. Everything's part of the whole for John, right? Maybe he's trying to carry to just ask specifically, well, what is it you want me to do? What's your angle here? Why did you just bring this up? What are you 
asking me for? Maybe he's trying to nail her down. But that phrase that he uses, that my time has not yet come, that's really interesting. It's really interesting because for John, what time was Jesus coming for? What was the whole point of Jesus' arrival? John spends the whole second half of his gospel in one week of Jesus' life. You know what week that is, right? The crucifixion of Jesus. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, this doesn't necessarily point toward what I'm doing. Maybe it could. Maybe it could. Maybe what happens here in Cana points toward and on Calvary. Am I moving around too much? Is that why my mic is cutting out? It won't stop me. Okay. Maybe I'll move around a little bit less. <laughs> I don't usually get a mobile mic either. Maybe you can notice that. <laughs> okay. Um, when Jesus uh, asked Mary this question, her response then is really interesting. She doesn't answer him. She goes to the servant and says, do whatever he tells you to do. This is also really interesting to me. Uh, You know, it's really easy when we ask Jesus, we say, Jesus, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. I need you to help me find a new job. I need you to help me do this. I need you, I need you for this or that. And I don't, I, you know, it's easy to feel kind of guilty for always asking Jesus for things. Because, you know, he's not a vending machine. You know, I mean, we don't just ask, like our, our prayer is more than just bringing requests. Our prayer is learning how to place those requests in his hands, right? But we do tend to treat him sometime like, God, I need this, 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 and this. And I would like them like this. We want to dictate terms. But Mary does something interesting. She takes her hands off of this situation and she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Anything. She releases her grip on the situation. She does not set terms for how she wants Jesus to take care of this problem. And so Jesus asks the servants, he takes the servants over and he says, listen, fill these these, uh, jars. Jar is a little bit of a misnomer. Something that is 20 or 30 gallons, I think, has graduated to tank. And there are six of them. Six of them used for ceremonial purification. Of course, if you are Jewish and also now today, if you are Muslim as well, there's a lot of purification that goes into your daily life. Right? There's a, the ancient Near East places a lot of emphasis on being pure before coming before God. And so Jesus tells the servants, hey, will you fill these, these six, uh, I mean, I'm going to call them cisterns. They're huge. Fill them. I bet, I bet the servants are like, oh, great, got a, one bucket at a time. <laughs> do the whole thing. And they're doing this whole thing. And as they do, something amazing begins to happen. And they don't even really notice it. There's a few, a few times in Scripture we see this. We see uh, in, when the feeding of the 5,000. No one really notices the mer- when did the miracle happen. And if you were to ask people, they'd be like, uh, well, I was handing out food, and I just kept handing out food. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's one of those moments. The same thing happens in the Old Testament. Remember the widow uh, that Elisha helps with the, the oil? They're just like, well, pour out a little oil here and here and here. Here? <laughs> we should have run out by now, shouldn't we? You don't see it happening. It's just like happening in the background. Jesus does not draw attention. It's not, you know, like a magician, you know, where there's like a puff of smoke. Ha, it's wine. He doesn't do that. Yeah. 
I make a lot of really weird mental pictures for how things with Scripture went. Um, it, it's happening without anyone being able to see it. And yet, when the, he, he then says, take a cup and take it to the master of the ceremony. Some translations say steward. The, the, uh, the implication is someone who is like in charge of the household. A steward would know what good wine was. But to the steward. So the servants bring it to the steward. Steward drinks it. The, the scripture makes a point of saying the servants do not tell the steward where this came from. I imagine they were a little bit nervous. He's drinking the wine. They said, wow, this is really good. Where did this come from? Should we tell him it came from the ceremonial, <laughs> from the ceremonial jars out front? And they think, mm, I don't think we should tell him. <laughs> I don't think that's a good thing to let on about. Because what would you say? What do you say if someone has made wine in your ceremonial uh, jars for purification? It would be like serving church coffee from a tree. I'm not even exaggerating. I mean, I'm joking, but it's that kind of thing. It has one purpose. And that purpose is not mixing drinks. It would be a desecration. You don't do that. So the steward, not knowing where wine has come from, notices that it's remarkable. It's delicious. It's rich. It's complex. And the guests are given, because there's 150 gallons of it now, it's like a tanker on the highway filled with delicious wine. The party starts back up. Let's keep going. I've had friends, and I promise you this, I hope this doesn't endanger my ordination in less than a week now, but I, I've had friends who've, who have worked bar, and they will tell you, you don't, when you're mixing drinks for people, you only give them the good stuff at the beginning. If they're there all night, they won't care what they're after a few drinks. It's the same thing here, right? That's what they're saying here. They're saying that, you know, normally, we start with all of the good stuff. And then we just keep drinking and drinking and drinking. And you may remember the good stuff, but we know when the wine gets cheap and nasty, it's time to leave. The party is then over. But something amazing, you've done it backwards. It's not supposed to go like this, but you've turned it. And now the party has gotten better than it ever was before. And then John the period at the end of the sentence by saying this was the first sign. Right? My time has not yet come, but what if this pointed toward what would happen? Pointed toward why I came to earth. Wow, that's... It's really easy to feel like the party has ended. It's very easy to dwell in the past. The church especially. I think the church can be quite vulnerable to it. Uh, partly because we gather a lot. We're an old institution. I mean the church, big C. But even the church of the Nazarene, we're over 100 years old now. Almost 128, 120 years old, excuse me. And so, you know, I was just at General Assembly. And I love General Assembly. I always look forward to it when I get to go. But it really is a big pep rally. <laughs> I mean... 
Not in a bad way at all. That's not a criticism. District assembly is the same way, right? We don't talk about like how much we've struggled <laughs> in the last four years. We talk about how excited we are. Look at what God has done. Look at what he's going to keep doing. Hey, we remember. We remember all the good times. But it's tempting when we keep focusing on the good times. It's tempting to look at what's around us right now and say, and what's happened here? Where have you gone? Why is the party over? The good wine has dried up. And that starts to sink into our minds and sink into our hearts. And then it begins to kind of fester within us. We want to go back. We want to get back to what that was. And so rather than seeking out something new, and I'll talk about that in a minute, rather than seeking out something new that Jesus is doing in our lives, instead we try to recapture Oh, I remember, I remember when the church had 150 more people. Those were the days. Maybe our music was like it was then. We could go back to how things used to be. I remember when so-and-so was our pastor. Oh, those were the glory days of our congregation. And now this new pastor. You've all heard it, right? We all want to go back. We all want to make things the way they were. And so we start trying to grasp at whatever we can to to bring us closer. Maybe we create some kind of thing that looks like it used to look. And maybe it does feel exciting at first. But after a while, the excitement kind of peters out after a while. It starts to feel kind of stale. And, you know, I mean, it got everyone to shout amen, but... It turns out it's not actually that hard to get someone to shout amen. You just need to say something they agree with, not necessarily something spirit-filled. It's really easy to get people to sing along with the song because people like singing together. But that's not the same thing. It's easy to go for the substitutes. It's easy to go for something that's been kind of warmed over and processed. I use this phrase. I had it in my notes. I, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to say it. I, I had this phrase in my notes, processed church loaf. <laughs> you know, like it just sounds like a really cheap luncheon meat, you know. <laughs> like it just sounds, it sounds disgusting. You know, if I was in, if I was in Kenya, I'd say like artificial mango. I love mangoes. They're one of the, my favorite fruits in the world. But artificial mango is just not, it's no good. It's like artificial banana, right? Maybe you like artificial banana, but it doesn't taste like banana, right? I mean, and you eat it and you're like, I mean, this is pretty good, but I know this is fake. You've been in those church situations. I know you have, because we all have. We've all been in situations where we want to capture, we want to go back. And sooner or later, we start trying to grasp at things that will fill the hole, or we hope will fill the hole. Maybe we start to prize morality over faithfulness. Someone who keeps the rules is desirable to someone who will listen to the moving of the Spirit that might take them in uncomfortable places. Because at least this one we understand. I don't know what happened over here, but at least this way, I... I, I, A paradigm for that. I can think about that. It makes sense to me. We begin to prize stability and structure over justice and mercy. Have you ever noticed all the structures we have in our lives, in our society, in our world, that are monstrous? 
find humans under their gears. And yet we don't want to change them. What could happen? We don't know what will happen if we take this away. We need the stability. I would rather have what is known than to embrace justice and mercy and what God has called us to do because I don't know what's going to happen then. It could shake everything apart. We certainty over the vibrant call of the Holy Spirit. If you heard me uh, five years ago, uh, I came here, and I, this is just before Hope and I were deployed. Uh, I was actually, before we were deployed as missionaries, I was on staff at a church here on the district. And uh, I had been there six months. I had intended to be there, you know, a normal amount of time. I don't know what that is, but six months is not it. <laughs> and I, I, got, I, I was, uh, went to General Assembly, actually, six years ago, and someone spoke to us and said, would you consider, prayerfully consider this opportunity to serve on the mission field? And after six months, I, you know, the first thing is like, well, I don't know. I mean, we just got here. But as we prayed about it, you know, I, the thing about the call of God is you can't get away from it. I, you know, it's just always there. And you can try. You can try to drown it out. You can fill your life with so much stuff that will make the call of God easier to ignore. But God does not give up. Even if he goes and calls someone else because you refuse to go, he doesn't let you off the hook. So what could we do? Had to go. It's very scary to trust what is new. Um, I had a certain mind in what missions was when I went on the field. My, my own parents served as missionaries. I mentioned that. Before they were in Senegal... They served in Jordan and Egypt for about six years total. And, uh, you know, I was there through those, those times. I was about Forrest's age, about Peter's age, actually, when we went on the field, and then Forrest's age when we started transitioning to Egypt. And I was, I, I had all these images. Oh, it's like this. It's like this. It's really different. <laughs> it's not, it's different for a lot of reasons. For one thing, I'm an adult now, and I'm not, you know, there's, there's certain things of living on the mission field that a kid doesn't have to deal with. My kids don't have to deal with organizing our visas to make sure that everything's in order and the country of Kenya can say, yeah, Peter's really relieved. Uh, it, you know, the, the country of Kenya that said, yes, you can live here for now. And, <laughs> and, you know, we have to go do stuff every so often. Uh, my kids didn't have to deal with that. I didn't have to deal with that when I was a kid. Uh, I didn't have to deal with traffic when I was a kid. And it turns out traffic is definitely a thing to deal with. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of stressors like that that just kind of come on the outside. I wasn't privy to that. But the, the fact is, missions has changed. My parents went to the Africa region. It was 1999. Our field, we served in the West Africa field. First of all, that field's now been split into two. There's a French-speaking part of the field and an English-speaking part of the field because it was just huge otherwise. And the two languages, you know, it just, it's just easier this way. And my parents, all of their, uh, their fellow missionaries were all other Americans. Nothing wrong with that. A lot of Americans have become missionaries. For years, for decades, in the Church of the Nazarene, most of our missionaries were American. Possibly from some other Western country, like the UK, Australia, maybe Western Europe, something like that. Today in the Africa region, fully three-quarters 
maybe two-thirds of our, Afri- of our Africa region missionaries are from African countries. That's amazing. You ever stop to think? That's like Book of Revelation kind of stuff, right? That's the Spirit moving through those. And here's the thing. Hey, the history of missions in Africa is complicated. It's not just missionary book stuff. There's a lot of weird, I mean, not so much for the Church of the Nazarene, but a lot of countries sent missionaries that were very entangled in colonialism, and it's very fraught in Africa. And yet through all of that, the Holy Spirit has continued to move, continued to call His people, and is now mobilizing people all over the world to go all over the world. Can I get an amen? That's unbelievable to me. And the crazy thing is, it's not like God stopped calling Americans. There's probably some of you in here who have been dealing with something, maybe not a missions call. Maybe so, you can talk to us if he has been. But he's still calling everybody, because the fact is, we are all called. We are all called to do something amazing. We are called to do something new. If only we will let go. If only we will take our hands off. You know, this idea of using the purification jars. I love that. That's an amazing piece of, oh, just beautiful. I could write a literature paper on it besides just the the religion paper. It's so good. It's such beautiful symbolism. What has Jesus come to do? He didn't come to get rid of the law. Very easy to know because Jesus said, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill it. But fulfilling it doesn't look like what you think it does. It doesn't mean we preserve it in amber forever and do it one way forever. By filling up these purification jugs with water and wine comes out, Jesus is telling us what the purification is for. It's not just so you can keep doing what you've been doing. It's so you can be mobilized, you can go forward. Because my spirit is on the move. You were not made holy just so you could be holy. You were made holy to go. This is a weird story for Nazarenes because we're teetotalers. We don't drink much wine, do we? I don't know. I'm just messing with you. Oh, man. I had a joke I was going to tell, but I'm not going to tell. You can ask me about it afterward. Uh, so instead of wine, let's use the idea of coffee. I love coffee, right? I see some hands, yeah. Our neighbors, uh, talking about, you know, Africans being called as missionaries, we live on a, a compound in Nairobi that's owned by the Church of the Nazarene. It's got a guest house, it's got the field office, and it has missionary housing. So we're in one house. We have neighbors to our, if you look at us, I'm trying to think. If you look at our house, here's our house. I don't know my left from my right. Did you know that? Here's our house. To the right are American missionaries who've been there for 20 years. The two houses over that way are our field strategy coordinator and his wife. He is from Zimbabwe. They both are from Zimbabwe and have spent most of their life in South Africa. He's new. He's only been at a little bit. He's great. We love him. On this side are Ethiopian missionaries. They have served in northern Ethiopia, but if you know your geopolitics at all, and you might not, this is a little obscure, uh, northern Ethiopia is in a terrible conflict right now. Really violent, really brutal. And so they haven't been able to go back to Ethiopia, but they work in Nairobi with Ethiopian Somali refugees. 
And our Ethiopian neighbor, her name is Mulu, and Mulu makes coffee. Ethiopia is coffee's hometown, did you know? Coffee is native to Ethiopia. That's where it came from. And so coffee is a huge part of their culture. If you go to Mulu's house, she will have coffee and a lot of food. (laughs) Similar to that Middle Eastern culture I talked about earlier. She will have food, and she will have a seemingly endless supply of it. And the coffee she makes, she has a coffee bush in front of the house. And she plucks the berries and dries them and roasts them herself on her stove. She has like a special Ethiopian instrument for, for doing this. She'll brew the coffee, and she'll brew it with like cloves and cinnamon in it. It smells amazing. And if I sound very passionate about the coffee above everything else, it's only because I am. (laughs) It smells amazing. It's rich. It's dark tasting. You know, Americans, it's only been in the last 30 years, Americans have really gotten into strong, dark coffee, right? That's kind of a, not a thing people were into for a long time. This stuff is rich. It's heavy. And it will keep me up all night. (laughs) If we go there in the evening, I can't have any. I say, Mulu, I'm so sorry. Give me one of your mugs. I will take it and have it in the morning. Because I can't be up till 3 a.m. It goes straight to your head. Think about that with wine. I've never had wine. But I can tell you, it's meant to be rich. It's complex. And it goes straight to your head. The good stuff is not watery. It's not thin. It's not just sour. It's beautiful. It has so many angles to it. We have lived for so long on just water. I am ready to have wine. I am ready to drink deeply of what Christ has to offer us. I do not know where it will take us. If you've seen anyone who's had too much to drink, you don't know where it's going to take them. But the Spirit of God is moving in such a way that it will take us places we cannot imagine. It may take you into ministry, vocational ministry, but that's what I mean by that, as a pastor or as a missionary, but it will take you someplace. It will take you to someone you've never seen before. People, I'm amazed America is becoming so diverse. My wife is from Dodge City, Kansas, and now a new... A new population that's, what, the last 10 years? An East African population has started emerging to work with the beef processing plants because beef is very widely used in East Africa. A Somali minority. That's new. That's happening all over. God will, he will fill you up with what he has and he will take you there. It's, it's ridiculous. Okay? It's insane. It does, like, you cannot predict it. It's volatile. Jesus did not come to preserve in amber everything we hold dear. Because that's never the goal. The goal was to keep moving forward, to go. That's why you have this gift, to go. I can never go back. I can never go back to the time before I had drunk deeply. It's, it's, there's just nothing else that can replace it. I, I, I didn't plan on doing this. Carla brought it up at the beginning. If you do this, I, I'm, but I'm wanna, I want to open the altars for all of you. And I don't know, praise team, I hate, I feel like this is a, a real jerk move 
for a speaker to do, but I'm doing it. I've never done it before. Can I have someone from the praise team up here just to, like, play something? I don't know what. But just so we have, like, something in the background here, I want to give people a chance to respond to this. Not because I think you necessarily will or I've sensed anybody in here, but just because I don't want to leave without giving you the chance. All right? I, I, I don't want this to pass us by. I, this has been a weird year for me. Uh, I lost two very close family members in a space of less than a month earlier this year. And last week we were in uh, with my dad's family and we were talking with them and just everyone was speaking about the people we'd lost. And not in a bad, like, negative way, but just in a way, hey, we're still dealing with all of this. I had an aunt, we went and visited her and she, she brought out all her, her the pictures of just like me when I was like little, just a little guy, you know, with my cousins. And I, just the overwhelming feeling was that time is short. There's that pull us apart from each other and not just us here in this church but us from our, our neighbors us from the people outside of here and time is too short to let that happen so I'm going to give you the chance to respond today if you don't that's fine I'm going to pray feel free to come to the altar uh, you know and I'll, I'll, I'll end after that but if you feel the Lord moving in you If you are ready to drink deeply, hey, this is the time. If not now, hey, do it later, something. Jesus will not let you go. We are all called, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray your Holy Spirit. Lord, you're already in this place. We know that. We have sensed your spirit moving here, God. And Lord, we have sensed that you have uh, called us to something greater. Lord, for some of us, it is, it is cross-cultural ministry, Lord. Time for hope in us. And Lord, that is challenging and it's difficult. But God, we, we cannot go back because there's just no replacement for you, God. There's no replacement for your Holy Spirit. And Father, we know that time is short. Lord, we know we don't get to do as much as we thought we would. And Lord, we know that you are uh, always on the move. And Lord, you you don't need us in the sense that your mission will not be accomplished uh, without us, Lord. But you have invited us. You've called us in to this enormous celebration where the best is still to come where the victory is assured, where the outcomes are known, Lord. And so, Lord, we approach your throne with with gratitude, with humbleness, Lord. Lord, I pray you would move in cross-community church. Lord, I love this church. They've been so good to us. And I, I, Lord, I I want your people here to know just what it means to follow you, Lord. It's hard. But God, it is it is the good kind of hard. It cannot be replaced, Lord. Lord, we want to drink deeply today. We want your Holy Spirit to be with us. And Lord, as we go from this place, Lord, may may it go May we prize your beauty, your wisdom, your mercy, your grace over anything that we have loved in this life, Lord. Tear down our idols. Make us more and more like you. I pray all of these things in your name, dear Lord.
There are those here who have come to pray here. And uh, I'm going to let Carla finish up here. But if you want to continue to pray afterward, that's fine. Uh, If you want to talk to Hope and I, that's also good. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, We love to be here. And we're so thankful for what God is doing. There's nothing more important than um, having time with God, right? Can't rush it. And we need to take that time and be in his presence. We are blessed to have um, Hope and Nate, Forrest, and Peter here with us. We um, count them as ours, even though their, their membership is at another church, we can still count them as ours, right? Back in 2018, um, I believe, we did a photo party with them. And if any of you follow Hope on Facebook, you know that she is the expert at doing selfies. I don't do those. She does them. She's Fabulous. So the way Carla does it is we have a camera. And so we're going to have a photo booth at the back. Make sure you get a picture with Hope and Nate, Peter, and and Forrest. Um, And then get a real prayer card because we want to pray for them. In In your pews is a World Evangelism Fund offering envelope. May I have you show me those? Cool. Do you know why this is so important? World Evangelism Fund pays so we all contribute together for the ministry of the gospel around the world. And it is, it's everyone working together. It's the churches in Africa giving. It's the church in Kalamazoo, Portage, Michigan giving. And we all contribute together. And we support all of the Church of the Nazarene ministries around the world. One of the important things that you need to know, and you probably already do, is it pays for Hope and Nate's salary. And we really would like to have them have a salary, right? So um, you can put your offering in here, put it in the kiosk box at the back, um, or give online. There's a QR code up here on the screen. There's also another way to help take care of Hope and Nate, and that is just by giving cash. So, um, hey, Forrest and Peter, because your mom and dad always get the cash, this is for you guys, okay? There are going to be snacks in the foyer. As, as Nate told us and talked to us about taking time, take time today. Don't be in a rush. Take time to fellowship with each other and with Hope and Nate, Peter and Forrest. We want to 
drink deeply where Christ is taking us. So may I have you all stand and we will um, we'll talk to God. God, thank you for this amazing time together where we got to learn more more about your word and about where we need to be. You are the creator of the thunderous waterfall that overflows and um, comes down from heaven to us. And as I think of a waterfall, I think of our NYC kiddos right now and the sponsors. And I'm just asking God in this service that they're at right now that there will be commitments made for you. And in our service right now, may we have commitments made for you that will last a lifetime and that we will only see the effects. And it isn't even, we don't even need to see it, God. But those um, changes will be for eternity. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, than we ever ask or imagine. To him be all power and glory, dominion and honor forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.